if you were Black Friday shopping, any of you brave it? I've only gone one time with a friend of mine, and her mom was like Black Friday crazy. And we went to the mall, and it was like the most surreal thing I've ever seen, and I decided I would never go again. But on Saturday, or on Friday, I sat on my couch, and I got like half of my Christmas shopping done online, and it was awesome. And I have my big list, and um, every year I try to budget from the beginning of the year and decide who I'm, we're buying for and what we're getting them and all this stuff. And so I did all that on Friday morning, and then Friday night I was laying in bed, and Seth always falls asleep like two seconds after he hits, his, hits the pillow. And so I'm laying there listening to him snore, and... <laughs> I was thinking about what, who all we had bought for, who all we still had to buy for, what we were going to get them, and all of our budgets and all this stuff. And I started thinking about what I was going to buy my parents because my parents are just hard to buy for. Like, my dad wants things like guns and tractors, and that's not exactly in our budget. So we're like, well, here's $30 to Cabela's, you know, whatever you can do with that. <coughs> Excuse me. And so, and my mom just, if you give her money, she's going to buy things for other people and she'll, or she'll buy some like vacuum or something. And so she won't ever buy stuff for herself. So I was thinking through like, what are we going to get her that, what, that she would actually use and appreciate and it wouldn't be for somebody else. And I thought about the, all the things that they'd given us in the past and how they're just so generous and so giving and I just kind of had this moment where I realized I will never be able to, to pay them back for what they've given us growing up. I will never be able to spend what they've spent on me. I'll never be able to pay them back, not only for the gifts that they've given us at Christmas and birthday and all that, but pay them back for having knee surgery in high school and for getting my wisdom teeth taken out and you know glasses and all those things that they've given us. I don't even know how much money I'm sure I'll find out with Ainsley eventually how much money was spent on us growing up. And I had this wow moment while I was laying there thinking, I mean, this is, guys, this is how ladies, the, our, our brains think because we jump from like one thing to the next, but it's all connected, really, you know. So then I went from that to thinking about God and about how just like my earthly parents, I'll never be able to repay them for what they've given us, I will never be able to repay my heavenly father for what he's given me. I will never be able to measure up or even count how much his sacrifice was worth on the cross. I'll never be able to figure up and tally up what all of the things that he's given me really amount up to. And it's a little bit overwhelming to think about that. And so as I was thinking about that, I thought, Sunday morning, this is what I'm going to talk about on Sunday morning with our worship because it doesn't matter who you are it doesn't matter how, what has happened in your past or what you've done there is still a nature of worship inside of us and we want to satisfy that by giving God all that we can and maybe sometimes we don't always focus that towards God but just like I want to be able to give good gifts to my parents I want to be able to to at least give them something that they might like. Even more than that, I want to be able to give my heavenly father something. And it doesn't matter what failures or shortcomings we have. We all have this desire to satisfy God, even if we don't realize it. Even if we're in the midst of sin and we're in the midst of doing our own thing, we're wanting to satisfy this higher thing that we can't even wrap our minds around. 
The definition of worship is the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration to a deity. So simply put, we feel or we express how much we adore God. That's what worship is. In, in our singing, when we're raising our hands, when we're giving and offering, when, like Pastor Seth said, when we're greeting other people, we're just expressing how much we love God. And we do that in different ways. So worship is the highest point that man can reach in response to the love of God. We can't give God money because I don't know the currency in heaven in dollar amounts. We can't give God our house in a sense of like just shooting it up to God or something. We All we can do is just worship him in the little areas in, throughout our lives. And it's the highest point that we can get. We can connect to God on this level of worship. It's the most important purpose for our lives. That's why we were created, to worship God. Worship is our connection point with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. That's where we get to connect with Him. Worship is basking in God's presence. I'm just giving you some, some little practical things of what worship is. Sometimes people, they think worship brings the presence of God. Like when we come in here, it's like God isn't here yet. And when we worship, then he'll enter in and he'll come through the back door and we'll just feel different. But actually, worship, it doesn't bring God's presence. It just causes our awareness of his presence to change because he's already here. When I, I know when I myself have been in a really good worship service, you know, like you leave service, and you're like, ooh, that, that was a good worship service. I realize that I've gotten focused on God. I haven't thought about all the other things going on around me. And I've, that's in turn made my feelings to change. Like I, I feel a little bit different. And then it seems like the atmosphere around me changes when we start to worship and, and I've focused on him and now I'm feeling a little different and the atmosphere gets a little different. And then our spiritual awareness starts to change because it feels different and so we're starting to be aware. And all the while, it's not like God arrived because he never left. We just started to realize that he was here. And we started to realize that his presence was shaking things up and moving things around. It's the power of worship. True worship is saying to God, you are good when things don't look good. Because we go through things that just don't look good. And true worship is saying you are kind when his kindness hasn't answered prayers. I mean, I've prayed a lot of prayers that haven't been answered, and some of them, I'm really glad that they weren't answered. Like, I joke about this. I, when I was in high school, I thought that I had found the person I was going to marry, and I prayed and prayed and prayed for this person. And I mean, I'm sure there are similar stories represented in this room where you're like, thank God he did not answer my prayers. Thank you, Lord. You knew better. There are things that God sees beyond what we see, but we're, when we worship, we're saying, God, you're still kind whenever I don't understand why you haven't answered my prayers yet. True worship is still saying, you'll never let me down when it feels like he's miles away. Like, he, he really is letting us down because we don't feel him there. But true worship is saying, God, I know you're still here, and you haven't let me down, and you never will. True worship is more than feeling, it's more than emotion or location or, or what it feels like in the room. True worship is our Holy Spirit nature when everything else is falling apart. 
when it seems like everything is gone, when it seems like our family's gone, when it seems like our job hasn't worked out, or it seems like you just can't get glad, true worship is saying, no matter all of those things, I am still going to worship him. I'm still going to respond to his presence, even when I don't really feel like I can feel him. Job's life is a perfect example of things just falling apart. Job is this guy in the Old Testament, and we read the story of his life. And, I mean, he lost literally everything. More than once, he lost everything. He lost his family. He lost his livelihood, his, his, what he was, his job was. He lost his house. He lost everything. And in Job chapter 1, verse 19, it says that his house was destroyed and everyone was killed except for him. So he's alone. He's all by himself. Seth knows I don't like to be by myself very long. I get a little bit stir crazy. Like, he'll come over for lunch. Like, he'll be over at the church, and he'll come over for lunch. I'll be like, you want to just stay a little longer? And, like, we can hang out or something? Like, I don't want to be by myself. Girls growing up, like, I'm sure it's, you know, it's kind of a joke. Like, girls just have to go to the bathroom all together because you got to hang out together. I mean, I don't want to be by myself. And I can't imagine being Job, and I'm there, and I, I mean, his dog wasn't even alive his all his animals and his house and his family they're all gone but then that's in verse 19 where we realize everything is gone but then in Job chapter 1 verse 20 it says at this kids your bulletin here's here's your scripture at this Job got up tore his robe and shaved his head then he fell to the ground in worship I'm going to read that again. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship. I have never lost everything that I own. I've never lost all my family. I've never lost my house or my job. Like, I've never lost it all. But I don't really know that immediately following, I would just hit the ground in worship. I don't know if I would be on that level. But Job's nature was to worship God. I'm sure at that moment he wasn't feeling goosebumps of happiness. I'm sure he wasn't singing, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands, you know. I'm sure he wasn't skipping around in joy, but the Bible says he was still worshiping. And worship doesn't really mean that we have to have a smile on our face about it. Worship is just acknowledging who God is. And worship is taking the time and the focus to say, okay, God, it doesn't matter what's going on around me. I'm still going to look to you. Job's worship was part of his nature, and in the moment of complete devastation, he still fell to the ground in worship, and then he was bald also because he shaved his head. Maybe there are some of you in here, and, and you're going through a season of just complete devastation. Maybe you still have your house, but your family isn't put together. Maybe still, you still have your job, but you know it just doesn't seem like things are working out, and, and maybe there's a depression that's entered your life, and you can look to the story of Job and see that it doesn't matter what's going on. Your worship can push you towards a refreshing with God. And refreshing might not come as fast as you want it to. It may not look the way you think it will. But your worship will push you there. And it will bring you out to the other side. 
We were created for worship. Like I said before, the desire for worship to God was put inside of us by God. Our desire inside of us was planted into our lives before we were even born. And even sinners have a desire to worship. Even the worst sinner on earth has a desire to worship because he was created by God and God put that desire in him. So for a sinner, his desire to worship may look like worshiping themselves, pride, worshiping other people, worshiping money, worshiping any other thing except for God, drugs or alcohol or your job, whatever it might be. But their nature to connect with God's spirit will never be satisfied until they come to worship only him. So they have this desire. We as sinners, all of us, have a desire to worship God. And we look to other things. But we have to remember, only God is going to be able to satisfy that longing in our hearts. There's a story in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. If you would pull that up in your Bibles. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50, where we read of a woman who had tried all the other things to satisfy this nature to worship God. But she truly wasn't satisfied until she was literally sitting at Jesus' feet. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 says, One of the Pharisees asked him, talking about Jesus, asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman is this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, saying, Simon, I have... I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, which is nasty, y'all. Let's just think about that for a second. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives our sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Her worship saved her. Most have heard this story or you've heard the song about it or you've heard a sermon on it. And 
there's so many things that we can are jam-packed in this passage, but the big thing that uh, I want to talk about is how this woman came to Jesus, and she was a sinner, like it said, in multiple times in this passage. Other people knew she was a sinner. Jesus knew she was a sinner. She knew she was a sinner. She was a sinner, and even though she had tried all the other things, she knew the only thing that was going to satisfy her was sitting at Jesus' feet. There are a few things that true worshipers do, and you know it by the evidence of these things in their lives. The first thing true worshipers do, true worshipers are givers. Pastor Seth did a series over a few weeks about giving and being generous, and and being generous and being givers looks different for different people. And for this woman, the cost of the oil that she gave Jesus was very high. The cost of the oil was very expensive, but she knew that she was going to worship Jesus in her own way, and it was going to be a sacrifice for her. It was going to be a sacrifice not only for her bank account, but also for the people around her to see her doing that. That's a little bit humiliating to sit at somebody's feet and wash their feet with her hair and while she's crying. I mean, people are going to see her do that, but she decided to give all of herself and all of her money because she knew that she had to truly worship the only one who was going to satisfy the nature inside of her to worship. In Matthew, I was reading this morning, in Matthew about the story of Jesus, because I'm really excited about Christmas, and I was reading about how the wise men, before they even met Jesus, they knew that they had to come give him something as, the wor- as worship. And, and when I read it this morning in Matthew, it said they brought him gifts as worship worship. They were givers. Before they even saw what he looked like, if he was cute or not, before they even met his parents, before they knew anything about him aside the fact that he was Jesus, they knew that that was the only thing that was going to satisfy them was their worship to him. They decided to sacrifice their time and their efforts. They decided to risk their own lives just to go worship the Savior. True worshipers are givers. True worshipers aren't content. This woman had sought after other things. We know this because, like I said, it says all through Scripture that she was a sinner. The story straight up tells us she was a sinner. And it wasn't enough for her to just be in the room with Jesus. We can come into this room with Jesus. We can come stand in his presence. Y'all can come on a Tuesday morning and Jesus will be here and you can just stand here. But worship isn't just standing here. She knew, this woman knew, she didn't just need to be standing there. She had to do something. She wasn't content just watching other people talk with Jesus. She wasn't content just being there. She had to do something. It wasn't enough for her to just be there. Our dog, Lily... I'm, I'm finally starting to say our dog. This was Seth's dog before we got married. And I usually say Seth's dog, but I'm trying to, like, own, own her in my heart. Lily is a very hyper dog, especially when I first moved in with Seth after we got married. She was never content with me just being there. Lily had to be right up in my face. I mean, she wants to breathe the air that you breathe, okay? Like, she's always trying to lick you. And there are times, like, I would get a little soft spot in my heart for her and be like, come here, Lily. And she would jump up, and she wouldn't just sit there with me. I mean, she then, like, it opened the door for her to do even more and, like, licking me and stuff, and I'm not all about that. 
But Lily is a perfect example of how we need to be in our worship. Because Lily isn't content just being in the same house with us. She's not content just being, you know, around a little bit. If I stand up to go to the bathroom, she wants to see where I'm going. If I stand up to go to the kitchen, she wants to go to the kitchen with me. If I, if we get up and go to bed, she is ready. She's right up there on the bed, which also is a big step for me. Because I'm like, there's not going to be a dog in my bed. But I love Seth, so... We need to be like Lily the dog and not be content until we have made that connection with the Holy Spirit, until we have made our lives to be worshiping Jesus. My affection for God is driven by an unsatisfied spirit, and it's not content with what I've done or experienced in the past. Lily has licked my face before, but she wants to lick my face all the time. And just like that, I have experienced God before. I've been in great services. I've seen people get healed. I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. I've been weeping before Jesus, but I'm not content with what's happened in the past. I've been to Bible college. I've been to great services, and I've heard incredible sermons, and I've done it all, and I've seen it all, but that's still not enough because true worshipers are not content. They just can't get enough of Jesus. So true worshipers are givers. True worshipers aren't content. True worshipers don't go unnoticed. She got the attention of the people who were in the room with Jesus. The woman who came and anointed Jesus with the oil, she didn't go secretly behind Jesus, and people didn't just ignore her. I mean, people were offended, the Bible says, which is outrageous to me that they would be offended by her worship, but Maybe that's how it should be for us, that people notice so much that they just can't even wrap their mind around our worship towards God. True worshipers have to be noticed because there has to be an outward evidence of the inward change that God has done in our lives. Everybody has to see it. That's the only way that we're going to be able to show people what Jesus really means to us is by the evidence in our worship. Here's the deal. People were offended by this woman who came to Jesus. They didn't like it. They started talking about it. I was reading this morning thinking about this story. And, and Simon, the Pharisee who had asked Jesus to come, it says that now when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is. So he says it to himself. And then Jesus answers him. And says, I know what she's done. So let's just think about that for a second. You might be saying stuff to yourself, but Jesus still hears what you're saying. And he would much rather hear you worshiping him than try to judge whatever else is going on with other people. He wants to hear the worship from you. So everyone notices it, and people are offended, but this woman didn't care about that. And then it opened up the door for Jesus to do a little bit of teaching with the people who were around. This woman was able to not only have this connection point with Jesus, but she opened the door for Jesus to speak into the lives of everyone in that room and say, you see this woman? She's done a whole lot of bad stuff. She's done a whole lot of horrible things that you think are so wrong that she shouldn't even be in my presence. But she's the only one sitting at my feet. You invited me to your house. You were supposed to host me well, but you didn't give me any of the stuff that this sinner woman has given me. And for that, I am forgiving her of all of her many sins. People noticed 
that, she, that this woman was a true worshiper. Satisfying the nature of worship inside of us will point other people to Jesus. It will point other people to who Jesus is. We might have family members who don't know God. We might have friends who don't know God. And we think that we have to keep that hidden or silent, that, that he's done so much for us. And we don't have to be weirdos about it, but we can have a lifestyle of worship so that other people can see who Jesus is. The last thing, true worshipers carry the aroma of Christ. We read that the fragrance of the oil that this woman had was so strong that it filled the entire house. I don't know if any of you have ever done this, but I one time I broke a perfume bottle on myself at work. It was like a little travel thing. And we had gone to a Mexican restaurant, and I smelled like Mexican food, and I didn't want to smell like Mexican food. And so I tried to pull open this, this bottle of perfume, and I spilled it all over myself. I stank so bad because then I just smelled like really strong perfume. And people could notice I carried the aroma of this perfume. It wasn't good. And this woman who brought this, this, this fragrance, this oil to Jesus, it was expensive, but it had a strong aroma, and it filled the entire house. There's no doubt that this woman, I don't even know for how long, smelled like the oil that she had anointed Jesus with. Because not only did she just pour it on Jesus' feet, but the Bible says that she used her hair to wipe the feet of Jesus, and she anointed him with that oil. I'm sure when she stepped out of that house, people could smell that on her. I'm sure that when she went home, people could smell the aroma of Christ that was on her. As Jesus left that room, people could realize there's something different about him. There's an aroma, the anointing that this woman gave to Jesus. And when we have entered into this time of worship and we've connected with him, there is evidence of the anointing that we've encountered. There is evidence that we have entered into worship with him because people can tell there's something different about us. It's like what I said before. It's people can tell when we say, you know what, God is still good when things don't look good. God is still kind when he hasn't answered my prayers. God is still with me even when I don't feel him. God is still with us even when we don't know what's going to happen in our future. Our worship points us to Jesus. It points other people to Jesus. It's our connection with him. The nature of worship in us leads us to God. It requires sacrifice. It's never content with the past, what we've experienced. It doesn't go in unnoticed, and there is definitely evidence of an encounter with him. I just want to close today in, a, in reflection, if you guys would just close your eyes for just a moment. I don't know all the stories that are represented in this room. I don't know all the things that this room has encountered. The things that you've seen, the things that you've said, the things that you've done. Even people who have been serving Christ for years and years and years have a story. We all have a story of how... Jesus saved us from our sins because we're all sinners. And we can choose to just go by and say, you know what? I do my Sunday morning worship and I come in here for 15, 20 minutes and I lift my hands. And I do my thing and that's enough. But this morning as your heads are bowed and, and you're reflecting on who Jesus is in your life. I want you to just think about what more can your worship be? 
What more can you offer God? It doesn't have to be this massive financial sacrifice. Maybe it's just your mind being focused on him. Maybe God's been dealing with you about lifting your hands in worship, and that might seem small, but it's what he wants from you. Maybe your worship needs to be carried out more outside of these doors. Maybe your worship needs to be evident to other people around you when you go home or when you go to school. Maybe people don't even know you serve Christ. And God wants you to make that step today. So I'm going to invite you in just a second to the altars. And and we're not going to do a a big thing um, with each other together. I want this to be a personal reflection time for you. A personal connection time with you and the Holy Spirit this morning. And we're going to commit and we're going to declare to the Lord that we are going to be true worshipers. That your family is going to be a true worship family. That your household, it's going to be carrying the aroma. That anointing is there. That when people walk into this room, because we're here and because we've encountered Jesus, people will feel something different. Not because his presence left and then came back, but because we are true worshipers. And God wants us to take that step forward with him every single day. That it's all new with him every single day. So would you come to the front and, and or you can just find a place within your seats. We're going to take just a few minutes and begin to talk to God. God, what do you want from me in my worship?